0: Tina Koto nō my Welcome to Q&A, I'm Jack Tame. Tonight, Health Minister David Clark. After another week of blunders, can he restore confidence in the government's COVID response and his own political career? Do you think you've done a good job? Uh, yes, I do. Do you think you should be the Minister of Health after the election? Uh, look, I do. We have new forecasts for you from Kiwi data modelers who say the worst of the global pandemic is still to come. Plus, the deal to return Ihumatau to Māori and the role Jacinda Ardern played.
1: In uh, two minds about about, um, how our Prime Minister has treated the situation.
0: We'll have that story shortly. The World Health Organisation today reported the single largest daily increase in coronavirus cases, more than 183,000 new infections. Here, there were two new cases from the latest batch of Kiwis who have returned home. As yet, of course, there is no return to community transmission. After a messy week, the Government today announced further restrictions on travellers arriving back in Aotearoa. And I asked Health Minister David Clark why sick people are being allowed on planes in the first place. Um, well,
2: of course the responsibility for people getting onto planes rests uh, on the other side of the equation. Um, It's not uh, expected that sick people will be allowed on planes and certainly I know Air New Zealand's taken a very strong stance uh, around that. Um, Of course, these are also New Zealanders who have a right to return home. Uh, But we also have expectations that they will take personal responsibility and will not fly if they're unwell. How is this happening? Well, that's a question uh, that I want uh, to hear more answers to, to be frank. What have you heard so um, far? So, so far we've heard uh, that this has happened in the, in the last week. It does seem that some people may have uh, got onto airplanes that weren't well. Um, uh, I'm wanting more follow-up on to understand how that could have happened overseas and what more can be done to make sure it doesn't what, happen where, where is the the
0: airline's responsibility
2: for? Them, well, the airline is responsible for making sure so mm. that people don't get on there. So, so how is so, it happening? Um, so, that's, that's exactly the question. It's not happening within New Zealand. I, I want to be sure it's not happening with other airlines, but as I say, these things have to be handled carefully and they have to be got right. Does that mean that airlines haven't been taking sufficient precautions up to this point? Uh, well, I think what we've seen is that actually New Zealand's leading the pack globally in terms of what we've got here, but that our border is the critical thing that mm. we've got to get right. And so we have spotted in the last uh, period, mm. in the last week, some, some challenges at our borders and we are working to fix those things as we have the whole way through the COVID response. You know, when we didn't get... PPE uh, going through to our NGOs or our private providers, the government stepped in and set up a national distribution system. Uh, when we did had low uh, testing equipment, we stepped in uh, and made sure that we now have the highest testing numbers per, per um, positive case in the world. Um, we've moved wherever we've identified a problem and now uh, we're seeing at our borders we've got those challenges
0: and we're moving to fix them. I mean this was a predictable problem, wasn't it? That as soon as we started leading more people into the country, regardless of whether or not they are New Zealanders, we might have issues with people bringing COVID into the country. A- absolutely. Our global rates are at their highest yeah. level.
2: 183,000 cases globally yesterday and I think um, there's, there's a risk that as New Zealanders we might have been getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, that long string of zeros mm. uh, and um, the sense that in New Zealand we'd, we'd uh, knocked out community transmission. It's really important that we stay on top of that. So you're things. satisfied with the New Zealand but what about the other airlines that are flying to New Zealand? Well they're, they're the those moment. are the, the, exactly the questions. Um, they, have they asked an, them? There is an expectation that they uh, do the right thing. This is only just coming to light and those conversations are happening now. I won't say any more about it here today. You're meeting with Air New Zealand tonight. What will your message be? Um, My message to them will be, uh, you know, firstly thank you for the steps that they have taken but I also want to have a conversation about how we uh, progress from here how we continue to shore things up are you, What do you mean by that? Well uh, you know what other steps can be taken, we, we're going to be encouraging uh, use of PPE on flights um, up until now that's been an optional thing, uh, we think that uh, it would be good if all people on flights would be uh, using PPE, the, cr- the crew certainly are, uh, we don't have evidence of any transmission happening on the plane
0: so it looks like things are working well now but we can always do better. Are you satisfied with your any- New Zealand's crewing rosters, that people who potentially have exposure to individuals who are COVID-19 positive aren't then moving about in a Level 1 New Zealand potentially
2: spreading? Well, I think I think we do have to acknowledge that to date we've seen no evidence of that, you know, and, and uh, credit to Air New Zealand and the way that they have been applying those, um, those strictures that they have in place. Uh, certainly for their overseas mm. um, travel, they have some very strict protocols around it, and that's appropriate. And those have been updated as we've gone through, and I would expect that we want to review them and keep up them.
0: The Prime Minister has said today a new health order will come into force this evening that will require individuals to submit to testing before they leave quarantine. Why wasn't
2: this in place before now? Um, look, it was a clear expectation on the 9th of June as we moved to a level one. Um, it was absolutely there for all to see. But, that we but would it have wasn't people a rule. I mean, this is a law now. Uh, Yeah, well, it's It's in the health order, just to make it crystal clear, but it was also the expectation beforehand. Um, And uh, we've seen with the two uh, women who came back from the UK Mm. that that protocol wasn't strictly followed. Uh, Again, I moved immediately to suspend compassionate leave until we have confidence in the system. Moving early and moving decisively has
0: served us well throughout this whole pandemic, and I, I don't make any apology for that. So June 9th is when the requirement came in. How often from that point did you request updates from your officials in quarantining facilities as to the number of people in quarantine being tested?
2: Uh, look, I had no reason to believe because I, I had certainly reassurances that this was happening. Uh, any any sense that it wasn't. Uh, and How so, often specifically did you request well, look, those updates? Um, look, honestly, uh, Jack, I um, have subsequently learnt that this wasn't happening. I had no reason to believe it wasn't. That was an operational requirement. Uh, Ashley Bloomfield has apologised because he um, himself believed that that was happening in the you system. You as the
0: Minister of Health, how often did you, well, your I, I job? Your job is to certainly sort assurances that
2: it was happening. Okay, um, so, so how so often? I, but what? I haven't made a list of every time I've asked every question. Well, well of shouldn't I? I mean, Gen- isn't that a basic compliance? You wouldn't expect me to.
0: No, I think I think people would expect you to. to, to it's every every, every question
2: that I ask the director general,
0: whom I talk to several times a day. I think if you look at I think if you were to look at New Zealand's borders and identify the areas where we were most vulnerable to a COVID-19 outbreak, expecting regular updates as to the number of people who had just arrived in New Zealand being tested. Is a basic requirement. Well, I, I, Jack, I'd, I'd push back on that. Globally, we're leading the pack here in the COVID response. When we identified area, a problem,
2: though. we've moved immediately
0: to fix it. I, I'm just going to ask you one more time, though. From that period on June 9th until now, how often would you have asked the Director General of Health or your other senior health officials... The number of people being tested in quarantine. I've got to repeat myself
2: and say I don't have a list of the number of times I've asked. I sought assurances, I received them. The Director General believed it was happening. The Director General believed it was happening when I sought his assurance. Uh, And the system has has failed in this instance. And that's why we've moved to fix it. Because as you identify, this is critical to get right. We cannot afford to be complacent as a country. People have made a lot of sacrifices. Uh, We are leading the pack. We've got to continue to Some
0: people will interpret that level of scrutiny or lack thereof as complacency. let me ask this. We have seen in the last few days other people being brought in to take over critical roles in this pandemic, the likes of Megan Woods um, and and Defence staff. What is your job at the moment in the COVID-19? Uh, my what, my what job is
2: doing? the same as it was before, which is to ensure the health response uh, is world-beating. And uh, I think uh, the results show that it is. Um, I'm very proud of the way our health system and the people in it have responded. Uh, we are the envy of the world right now. The important thing is we stay that way. And so we keep so it that specifically, way. though, what do you what do? you do With the health system? No, um, no with so the response to COVID 19. What, what's your job? What um, your my job is to make sure that the uh, right things are happening across the system, that we're asking the right questions. It's a governance role. What does that mean? Though? So, well, this evening I'll be meeting with Air New Zealand, for example, to check that their uh, systems uh, are as good as they can be and what other things are emerging from their perspective perspective, how we can manage those so things. So we
0: job is to be asking the so like questions
2: that, across that, the board. That's right. And so, um, you know, there's, there's uh, many questions every day in, in respect mm. of COVID. How, like how, how many our... people have been tested in quarantine? Um, exactly, and so that is now thoroughly being proofed, I can tell you. Once we've identified any mistake as a government, we have moved rapidly to fix it.
0: Was that error with the two women who'd
2: arrived back from the UK? Was that your responsibility? Uh, obviously, that's an operational thing, and that's how the prime minister's seen it as well. Cabinet was told mm. these things were happening, so it was a reasonable. to You're the minister that they
0: with weren't. oversight, though. So, do you take responsibility for that for that error, or is it your? Uh, it's role? an operational
2: uh, matter, and I think um, Dr. Bloomfield has apologised. for it, But I, but I would also say Dr. Bloomfield's done an exceptional job. I think mm. New Zealand would recognise through this pandemic. And where a problem has been identified, he has moved to fix it. It comes to oversight, though. You are the Minister. Uh, Look, honestly, there is a difference between uh, oversight and delivery. Um, And on this matter, uh, Dr Bloomfield accepted the system
0: didn't deliver as it was expected to. He apologised, but he's fixing it. In the initial uh, response to COVID-19, you referenced this before, there were some well-publicised concerns from people on the front line about the supplies of PPE, Mm -hmm. uh, the supplies of protective uh, equipment. Now, the Auditor-General's report into PPE found the government didn't know how much stock it had in that initial response. But on March 27th, you said, quote, we have good stocks.
2: Why would you make that statement? Uh, Look, I, again, was seeking assurances from the Director-General through this, uh, and I was assured that in a globally competitive environment we were doing well at getting stock. It was around the country. But
0: we're not looking at at comparing ourselves in that context, are we? We're looking to make sure that everyone on the front line of this response has the appropriate equipment they need to stay safe. And the Auditor-General found that wasn't the case, but you were telling us at the time it was. at each
2: stage I acted on the best advice that I had. Um, And, again, I, I would say the results speak for themselves Uh, we are where we are and um, it's also true that the most important thing was the the messages that were being conveyed uh, through the COVID campaign, Uh, personal hygiene measures um, staying home when you're sick, washing your hands regularly, those things are actually the Mm. first line of defence and then also moving to set up a national distribution of PPE when we identified there were some challenges
1: That's uh, a significant
0: discrepancy though isn't it you've got people on the front line saying we don't have the gear and you as health minister are saying we have good stocks.
2: Oh well that's when as soon as we discovered issues we moved in to set up National distribution, we we fixed it.
0: I appreciate that, that responding to COVID 19 has been challenging, but you defied your own department's public health advice during the national lockdown. You and your officials gave misleading comments about national PPE supply. Two people with coronavirus were let out of quarantine without being tested, with you as minister. Why should you be the Minister for Health? Oh, look, I, I apologise for the
2: personal mistakes I made at the start of lockdown. Um, and uh, e- Equally, uh, my job uh, has been to get on and do the job and make sure the system's working well. And I have no better explanation for why I should be Health Minister other than the results that we've got, where we are the envy of the world. The thing that I would say, though, is that's the result of New Zealanders' sacrifices. The people in the health system have done a fantastic job and we are the envy, but we've got to stay the envy of the world, and we do that by doing our job well. Do you think you've done a good job? Uh, Yes, I do. Do you think you should be the Minister of Health after the election? Uh, Look, I do. Um, I I think there's a huge opportunity in the health space. The Health and Disability Sector Review, which I commissioned, I hope we'll get a chance to uh, talk about uh, in this interview, is is a document that really lays out an opportunity in the health system to make sure it's sustainable and delivering more equity for our our populations. That's something that I uh, commissioned and am absolutely determined to see followed through on. Let's talk about the report. Will we see the change that the Simpson Port recommends? Uh, uh, The General direction has been signed up to already uh, by the cabinet. Um, The implementation is going to require uh, some working through. Um, It's it's 264 pages long, full of recommendations. Um, It reminds me just how complex that system is. Not an issue I haven't wrestled with in there before, but you lay them all together and you realise how complex and interdependent it is. Getting the implementation plan right is critical. Then there's legislation, Mm. uh, which will be the job of the next
0: government to pick through some concern has already been raised over the inability under these recommendations for the public to elect members of their DHBs. What is your response to that? From a democratic perspective, is that yeah. is that
2: worthy of concern? Well, look, I, I think the most important thing is we actually have real democracy that works, and uh, in the report there's a, uh, a requirement going to be placed on DHBs to consult with their local commu- communities, to develop plans with their local communities, which they just simply don't do now, to meet local need. Um, in terms of getting rid of that elected function, mm. um, I think the call for professional governance is right. I don't get a lot of people coming up to me on the street and saying, I'm really glad I had the chance to vote in the local DHB election. I know all the people and it was really tough ranking the candidates. It's simply not not the case. Um, there are some really good people who are elected and there are also some people who are not particularly suitable uh, for election. And so the, the, the report suggests we make some change again that'll go to the next government to make the
0: decision so how soon how, how give us a time frame how that, quickly in, would in we terms see of the
2: elected the recommendations to in the report those things will go into into legislation mm-hmm. um, I, I would hope if, if I was a part of an incoming government I'd want to move uh, relatively quickly because uh, I think the plan that's laid out in there is sensible uh, and the year it after presents, the would oh, look, a I would hope we'd frame? be making progress by then certainly mm-hmm. uh, I you know it suggests, for example, that in terms of diminishing the number of DHBs, which I think most people think is a good idea, that you first need to do the planning around uh, providing services before you start thinking about the amalgamation. That's sensible. So things will be done step by step, but the opportunity is huge and it will make a real difference for New Zealanders, I believe.
0: That is Health Minister David Clark. Now, a quick reminder, we are moving back to Sunday mornings from next Sunday, the 28th of June at nine o'clock. For good. So yes, (laughs) these peachy morning hues are back. We had a lot of feedback on our move tonight on Q&A and it is obvious that the morning slot suits many of you better. So we are really happy to be making the move and to make Sunday mornings the home of political interviewing yet again. We hope you can join us. Coming up a little later on Q&A tonight, we head to one of the South Island's most spectacular tourist spots, where there were once thousands of tourists a day, now just hundreds. But locals in Tiarno are split on whether it's time for a permanent reset.
3: Who wants to keep numbers, but we have to. Kia ora, welcome back.
0: It's difficult to know when our tourism industry will be back on its feet. Last year, 3.9 million travellers visited New Zealand, making tourism our number one export earner, but also putting pressure on infrastructure and our natural resources. There are some that argue that this is the perfect time for a major reset, to look at capping tourist numbers. But that's a tough conversation for tourism operators struggling to survive. Fena Owen reports.
4: These days the weeks are very quiet out at Milford Sound, but in the weekend tourist numbers are up to 200 a day. Compare that to pre-COVID, when winter numbers were up around 2 to 3,000 a day.
5: It's been really nice, actually. A lot of Kiwis at the moment are realising this is the best time to explore.
4: Here we go.
5: Here we go. Another day at the office.
4: As far as New Zealand's tourist attractions go, Milford Sound has always been regarded as the star of the show. Tourist numbers have surged. Last year over 900,000 people visited Milford Sound, but now that surge is down to a trickle as the pandemic means tourism is operating in a vacuum. It's given us an opportunity to be brave, to be courageous and say, what kind of tourism do we need in New Zealand? Ruth Shaw, who ran a charter boat business, has spent most of her life fighting for Fiordland. She's not alone.
3: This is chance of a lifetime.
4: This is Roscoe Garden, but locals know him as the mayor of Tiano. He's one of the few owner operators out at Milford. He came here 30 years ago with a few kayaks and a dream.
3: The last few years it's just it's been it's been crazy. It's just uh, the numbers. It's been good for business for you, right? It's been good for all of us. It's the golden goose. But the Golden Goose has been getting strangled every single year.
4: And at peak season, this wharf here would be heaving with people. There'd be up to 80 coaches here, the car park's full, maybe choppers going overhead and long queues to the loos. Oh, and the locals tell me in high summer, the stench of sewage. It would be really interesting to know how many tourists go into Milford that do not know that their sewage is pumped into the field. Is it absolutely? Yes, absolutely. That sewage is partly treated, that's one thing, that'll be addressed by a group called Milford Opportunities, tasked with devising a master plan for Milford Sound. All good, but will they look at capping numbers?
3: I mean, who wants to cap numbers? But we have to. We need to cap numbers to, to keep the experience.
4: But is it distasteful, heresy even, to call for tourist numbers to be capped when so many in the sector are hurting?
3: It is looking at it now, but I mean, the numbers will come back. We don't want, do we want the numbers to come back at five, six thousand a day into Milford? You know, I, personally, I don't.
4: Most visitors to Milford come in through Queenstown. Its mayor, who is also part of the Milford Opportunities Group, does think it's the wrong time to talk numbers.
5: Oh look, I think um, uh, that discussion has a time and a place, but right now it's completely unnecessary.
4: Jim Bolt insists he's focused on helping those in the tourist industry to put food on the table. Small businesses that line the beaten track from Queenstown to Milford and reliant on tourist trade are struggling. Some have closed. With no coaches, others have reduced their hours. Tiki touring locals are helping.
3: Kiwis and the overseas visitors that were left here uh, still travelling around.
4: In tiano some hotels have been mothballed. The town's department store, H&J Smith, will close for good next month. And Moteliers have found it tough competing with the cheap camper van deals. I uh,
0: hear yeah, there is quite a few that are travelling around in the campervans because obviously that was a really cheap option. Um, and, you know, as accommodation providers, we can only go so cheap.
4: Madeline Peacock heads Destination Fiordland. With COVID and the floods in February, it's been the toughest year. The flooding was hard. COVID nineteen's been been
0: horrific, um, and, and now we're seeing we're saying goodbye to friends and
4: um, people that we know and we've worked with, are packing up their lives. In the wake of COVID, it's the economic and social problems and the future of tourism that Roscoe says needs better leadership.
3: You'd be hard-pressed to find any tourism operators that are happy with Kelvin Davis at the moment. Um, I think if Jacinda's serious about the, the tourism portfolio, she needs to take it over.
4: Queenstown's mayor thinks tourist congestion will naturally sort itself out.
3: The
5: reality is we're probably likely to see less people um, but maybe higher value because it will be more expensive
3: to uh, travel.
4: So, will scenes like this, the pre-COVID convoy to Milford, be a thing of the past anyway? Highway 94 is notorious. It's regarded by many as one of the most scenic routes in the world and regarded by some back in Tiano as a panel-beater's dream.
5: It is hazardous. Uh, Some days there will be two accidents on the Milford Road.
4: With New Zealand's current international standing, Ruth Shaw is in no doubt in a few years the tourist hordes will be back and fears they'll push further into our last frontier, southern Fiordland. This is where our bank is. We've got the Bank of New Zealand and the Bank of ANZ that gives us the cash to run our business, but that is actually our bank. The beauty of Fiordland or the beauty of Taupo or the beauty of of anywhere in New Zealand that is selling nature. It is your bank. If you stuff that up, well, you might as well just close the bank. Out at Milford Sound, only four of the 16 tour boats are operating. New Zealanders are here doing the tourist thing.
5: It's been really, really nice um, getting to, have, being able to show the Kiwis around because obviously Milford Sound is one of the, you know, Iconic things of not just the South Island and Queenstown, but all of New Zealand. It's normally pretty busy here, so it's nice to come and have it to ourselves, kind of, Hamish
4: yeah. Egerton hey, so from, from, from Cruise Milford agrees tourism at the Sound needs an overhaul. But right now he's focused on survival and is wrapped that July bookings are up on last year. Families who'd normally go overseas for their winter break are coming south. Kiwi travellers, he says, have been lifesavers.
0: God bless the Kiwis, they've really helped us out down here. They've they've saved a number of operators um, right throughout the country. So, you know, really proud of them. Fina Owen with that report. Atahua, it's beautiful, isn't it? Let's see what Jenny has planned for us on tonight.
4: Thanks, Jack. Tonight, more cases of coronavirus picked up at our border as lines at testing facilities build up once again. No exemption for the family of slain police officer uh, Matthew Hunt, who must isolate before seeing loved ones. How going high up into space helped us learn more about a creature in the depths of the ocean. Plus, plucked by Kurt Cobain, the very loose purse strings needed to own this piece of music history. Tune in for all that and tomorrow's weather at 10.40.
0: Kia ora, Jenny. Ko rero Send us your thoughts about tonight's interviews and stories. We're on Twitter at nzq You can post your comments on Facebook or you can email us if you prefer at QA at tvnz.co.nz. Coming up...
1: I think it would be um, one of the best things that I think that I could ever experience in my lifetime.
0: The leader of the Ihumatao protest on a resolution that would return the contested land to Māori. And with both America and China seeing another rise in COVID-19 cases, when can the world expect to return to normal, if at all, the economist who's been tracking the pandemic from the start? Hawkeye Maia welcome back to Q&A. As we reported on One News tonight, the government is closing in on a deal at Ihumatao. It's not the first time they have been close. All up, the deal is expected to cost taxpayers more than $30 million. The figure is being finalised by Finance Minister Grant Robertson. Now, we've been following developments for a while, and this morning, i Ihumatau, Ihumatao, I went to Ihumatao to meet with the protest group leader. Pania Newton has dedicated years of her life to this land. Now... Finally, she's nearing the end of the road.
1: I feel really proud, um, especially proud of Alfano and our marae and our community who have um, you know, carried this kaupapa for many years. And um, I think the nation, in time to come, will also be proud of what happened here at Ihumatau just as we are with what happened at Bastion Point in terms of um, protecting the Fenua there.
0: But for you personally, what will this mean? You've been the face of this resistance.
1: I think it would be, um, you know, one of the best things that I think that I could ever experience in my lifetime.
0: A Ropu Fakahide is going to be established, so that's a, a group that will have authority over the Fenua with representatives from the Crown, the Council, and mana whenua. It doesn't necessarily mean, though, does it, that that houses won't be developed here in the future. This might not be over for you.
1: I think we're always going to have to fight against uh, different political interests and stakeholders that find ihumatao appealing for whatever reason. we can only hope that the government and Jacinda takes heed of what our aspirations are and the aspirations of our marae and that is that this fenua remains a wahitapu which is essentially a cultural heritage landscape.
0: Perhaps one of the more controversial elements of the proposed resolution is the fact the Crown plans to purchase Ihumatao under the Housing Act. Usually that would mean state houses are going to be built on the land. But Q&A understands there is no requirement in the resolution for an explicit number of new houses to be built at Ihumatau. However, the Housing Act allows the Crown to avoid clashes with Treaty of Waitangi claims.
1: The mechanism that will be used to acquire the FENUA uh, may not be a, a mechanism that... Uh, you know a lot of people would agree with but Alfano and our are satisfied with where the conversations have gone and it's definitely not our intention uh, to build housing on this whenua but to possibly improve the existing housing footprints that are on this whenua which include the Wallace homestead as well as the um, 1950s um, brick bungalow at the end of the road here which could possibly be used as a ranger's house um, to uh, manage the whenua in time to come. The
0: Ihumatau occupation has become a delicate political issue for a government eager to prove its worth to Māori voters. New Zealand First opposes a taxpayer-funded deal. On Q&A last year, Shane Jones described the protest group as freedom campers. Though she decided to intervene, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has so far refused to visit the site. Today, as we filmed, a Crown car used for transporting senior ministers turned up at the Ihumatau roadblock, then turned and drove away when we started filming. It wasn't clear who was inside. We know that Jacinda Ardern was personally involved in some of the negotiations around this resolution. What's been your assessment of how she has handled this issue?
1: Um, yeah, um, and... Uh, two minds about about um, how our Prime Minister has treated the situation. Um, on one hand, um, I'm really grateful that she came out at the time that she did and put a halt to the development in order for us to find a resolution that we could all live with. Um, but in, on the other hand, I have been somewhat disappointed in, the, uh, in how long the process has taken Uh, as well as um, the lack of regard um, for Ihumatao in some respects.
0: What do you mean by the lack of regard?
1: Uh, I've seen uh, over this process, um, priority is given to um, other matters. Uh, which some matters I completely understand and agree, but other matters internationally I don't necessarily agree with. Uh, but again, I just um, am holding her to her word that she is um, going to find a positive resolution for Alfenua, and I hope that is um, to preserve it and uh, have it recognised for its... Um, significance.
0: There are just five or six Farno who have remained at Ihumatau over winter. The wooden pellets do a poor job of keeping out the cold. Will you move off the whenua? <laughs>
1: um, although it would be difficult, um, our plan is to transition off the whenua once it is protected and preserved. Um, and hopefully um, begin another journey, but um, whatever that might be, I know that I'll always be involved in uh, whatever the future of this venue will be.
0: So when this is officially resolved, what do you see yourself doing? Do you see yourself perhaps going into politics or something like that?
1: Um, I don't really see myself going into politics. Definitely not um, in the near future, and I hope (laughs) nowhere in the future. Um, my aspirations after this Kopapa is to be a mum, is to raise my daughter and um, to live out the aspirations and the hopes that our tupuna and our people have for this venue.
0: No-one at Ihumatau is counting their chickens just yet. Pani Newton knows they've been close to a resolution before. She'll be happy to see the land protected and happy to take a step out of the national limelight. You're very humble about your contributions to this effort.
1: <laughs> I think humility is a value that many Maori uh, are raised to um, hold close to their, their heart. You know, it goes alongside the kōrero, kāore <laughs> te kumare kōrero motona kereka. No, the kumara Kumanan never, never th- speaks of yeah. the yeah. Absolutely, but I think too it's about recognising um, you know, your rau um, you know, uh, recognising that we're never alone in the things that we do. And especially in this kaupapa, there's been so many people who have contributed and sacrificed so much for this kaupapa. And um, to think that they will be never recognised or thank is um, a sad thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I just got the, the easy part in many ways by just um, having to be the face.
0: <laughs> it's Pania Newton. Fletchers, the developer that owns the land, had no comment when I rang them today. And get this a spokesperson for the Prime Minister said the Crown car just happened to be in the area and had driven to Ihumatau from a nearby depot to test a new battery. After the break. Alleged cyber attacks on Australia, tensions on the Indian border. What's up with China?
5: China understands the virus and can see the speed with which it's spreading in the West and realizes that the West is, is going to be weaker. Xi Jinping believes in the decline of the West and the rise of China.
0: Chiao Tefano. China has denied it is behind a large-scale coordinated cyber attack against a range of businesses and political organisations in Australia. Last week Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison disclosed that Australia was being targeted by a quote, sophisticated state-based cyber actor. He declined to name the country involved, but security experts say there are a limited number of suspects – China, North Korea and Russia. GCSB Minister Andrew Little says New Zealand hasn't been affected by an attack. I asked economist Rodney Jones, an expert in China, if he thinks China is to blame.
5: The balance of evidence would suggest so, although of course we're not going to know and the Australians won't disclose it, but it seems to fit with the pattern that we're seeing. If another state actor was to be involved...
0: What state actor might that be? With a country like North Korea or something?
5: Yeah, sure, but they've got other things going on with South Korea. And it's just the timing. There's, there's a lot of Chinese steps in, in India, uh, obviously over the, the weekend and last week, um, Vietnam with fishing boats. Right. There's a lot of things happening on the periphery of China. Why now and in Australia, though? Well, there's two issues. One is, I think, the bigger geopolitical issue, which is that China understands the virus and can see the speed with which it's spreading in the West and realises that the West is, is going to be weaker. Xi Jinping believes in the decline of the West and the rise of China. So that brings forward his, his thinking, and they're probably moving, moving faster. And then as an offshoot of that is the U.S.-China relationship and the fact that Australia has been a close follower, if you like, of the U.S. And so this is a chance to drive a wedge between Australia and the U.S. and even Australia and New Zealand. So Australia is essentially being punished
0: for its close association with the U.S.? Yeah,
5: or being made aware of costs. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> <There's a euphemism. laughs>
0: um, is, is it possible then for, for countries to, to push back against China in, in this geopolitical space without expecting consequences of this nature?
5: Well, I think right now we have to wait. That this is... Deng Xiaoping had, let's say, hide your strength and bide your time. Mm. And in some ways, that's what countries should be doing. The US is in, in a major crisis. We see that every day on the news. You can't rely on the US. Hopefully things get resolved in November, but that's a long way off, particularly in a global pandemic. We just have to wait. We have to see how things play out, kind of keep your head down. How is the relationship between
0: Australia and China likely to play out then?
5: Well, China won't push too far. Mm. And the things they've hurt China Australia on, like Bali, they needed to do that to meet the US China trade deal. Right. Or if they were gonna
0: push back on iron ore, for example, which would hurt they won't do
5: something that will hurt China. Right. So iron ore would hurt China, even consumer goods like what New Zealand and Australia produce and Mm. sell. Mm. The middle class need that. They're not gonna do that at this time. So how should New Zealand play this? Keep keep one's head down. Just just be cautious. I think the way we handled the, the course of a WHO investigation, mm. we like that. Yes, we want to understand what happened. We want to know, but we don't need to be confrontational. And, yeah. so,
0: so, so does China at the moment then, considering the, the tensions it has on many fronts, and you mentioned the border dispute with India, the, the issues in Hong Kong at the moment, as, as well as um, the alleged cyber attack in Australia, Does China see opportunity off the back of COVID-19 to try and assert its dominance
5: in some of these spaces? I, I think absolutely. And I think the key thing with this virus is not to look at today, but think about where it's in a week, where it's in a month, where it's in three months. And they can see that the US has completely failed to contain it. And I believe that's why they're behaving the way they are. We have talked to you before about your work modelling the spread of the coronavirus. What are your numbers telling you at the moment? Uh, Well, we do it, you know, every day for every country, including developing countries. Um, We've refined the modelling a lot. And, it, you know, for the US and for the emerging world, it's, it's really problematic. I mean, this virus has a reproduction rate of two and a half, which mm. means, you know, one person infects two and a half. If you don't contain it, like we did in New Zealand or, or Europe did... Get the number below one. get yeah. it below one, it just continues to spread. And Europe got it down to 0.5 and opened up. US got it down to 1.3 and opened up. Mm. And that's a very different scenario where do you see it going in the coming months? Well, I think by the end of July, we could have another 1.5 million cases before the end of July. Mm. We'll probably be up to 50,000 a day. We hit 33. We'll be up to 50. Some of the models suggest we could go to 70. So it's a human catastrophe, and it's an economic disaster. And... As we see in in our region, it's a source of enormous instability. Mm.
0: What countries and regions are most vulnerable as you see those numbers increase?
5: We we see it in India. I mean, closest to us, South America. I mean, Chile was doing well. It's now got enormous problems. Brazil, we know about. Mexico is starting to have escalating cases. Um, So the Americas probably pose the greatest risk in terms of South America and North America. How do you see it unfolding in the US? well, the states will have to lock down again, and that's going to be very difficult. What we mm-hmm. see um, is red states uh, having much faster rate of growth in the virus than, than blue states, so the Republican-supporting states who opened up early, opened up aggressively, followed President Trump. They're on a, f- firmly on an exponential curve. Right. So it's going to play into the election as well.
0: Right. The, the election, of course, in the US is at the start of November. It, it's perfectly feasible from the numbers that you are seeing that there could be serious implications when it comes to getting people to vote, for example?
5: Yes, and and the number of deaths. I mean, we could have 300,000 have have passed away from the virus by November. I mean, it's really, to be watching it in real time, it's, it's a human catastrophe. And that's I think, dominates. Everything we see in the world kind of stems from that. What about the economic impact? What are the numbers telling you? Well, people are uh, optimistic because we're seeing better data on the reopening, but then we know the reopening can't last. And what we don't know and what we'll find out over the next couple of months is what's the balance between reopening with the virus still present and then the virus exploding. Mm -hmm. And I think the risk is you have to keep your economy dampened down more if you haven't eliminated the virus. And they said at least the advantage we have here Mm -hmm. is we can live our lives without fear. And consume and spend. Um, you don't have that anywhere else. I mean, President Trump is
0: pinning many of his hopes in November on the economic recovery in the U.S. If those numbers continue to increase as you are forecasting, could that have
5: significant implications? Oh, on that? of course. I, I mean, we saw that, didn't we? See it at the, at the rally. Uh, the you know the pendulum is swinging. The red states are really going to suffer over the next three, three, mm. four, five months. So how long then can we expect China to try and well, yeah. build opportunities off the back of this? Uh, they will continue to. I think it's going to be a trying kind of six months, and then mm. we maybe get a new president and see where we take it. What what the path is enormously uncertain. Mm.
0: In a New Zealand context, what are your concerns? Are, are you satisfied that?
5: Our borders are as tight as they should be. Well, this is a wartime situation. Mistakes are going to be made. And I feel, you know, one of the things is some of the... You pick up the Herald each day and you read about people whinging about the state of the quarantine, who who are in quarantine. Mm. And for me, that's people, like, who finally make it to the lifeboat complaining they got wet. You know, New Zealand is a lifeboat. And so we just have to keep it safe. It's going to be mistakes. There's going to be a lot of back and forth. It was great to have zero, but there's a global pandemic raging. And people are going to come back carrying the virus and we're just going to have to try and manage it and contain it the best we can. Are you satisfied that our politicians, ministers and officials
0: are... um as alert to some of these risks as they should be? Well, the
5: press is working. I mean, mistakes are being noted and highlighted and, Mm. you know, a free society, that's the advantage we have. A free society, mistakes are pulled up and, you know, you see that team of five million people Mm. are committed to protecting the gains and they're faster. Mistakes are going to be made but if you have a faster error correction mechanism in place, Um, You can correct them in time So hopefully we see no cases from the Mm. mistakes that have happened We'll know over the next week we're not there yet That's Rodney
0: Jones from Wigram Capital Advisors Stick around, we'll have your feedback on tonight's topics next Welcome back Tonight's One Thing on Q&A is from Thomas Henry Chair of the Otahu Māori Wardens What's the one thing he would do to make Aotearoa New Zealand a better place?
5: Kia ora, my name is Thomas Henry, I'm with the Otahu Māori Wardens, I'm the chairperson. If I was made uh, leader of uh, New Zealand for one day, I would get homeless off the street. Homeless is all around and it's not going to go away. It's getting worse actually, we are seeing too many of our families out on the streets struggling um, because they can't afford over uh, the rent, the market rent that's happening. So they're coming into our organisations uh, for support and getting uh, food entitlements, food parcels, just to help them. And we've seen a big increase uh, just in the short time of the Covid-19 shutdown.
0: God, Thomas. We've got your feedback now on the interview with Health Minister David Clark tonight, Louise Raymond posted contrary to popular opinion in the media. some of us are actually quite confident that we're in good hands hell. we could be in the USA. Fisher Scott posted, Ministers need to be responsible or find another job. Elizabeth Batt tweeted, An airline delivering a passenger suffering from COVID-19 must be fined. This means testing on arrival. Pania tweeted, We want tighter re-entry processes and accountability from our Ministry of Health. And there has been a lot of mainly positive feedback on our move back to Sunday mornings like this from Carleen Boyd. Wonderful news, says Carlene. See you then. Kua that is Q&A for this week and yes, our last evening show before we move back to Sunday mornings from this Sunday at 9 o'clock. I really hope you can join us. Thanks for watching and now mihi kia koutui karere. Thanks for your contributions. Thanks to the Q&A team. Hey te wiki. We'll see you next Sunday morning at 9. Q&A is made with the support of New Zealand On Air.